This episode is brought to you by DistroKid. Hey everybody, today, along with my producer and co-host, Chris Fafalius, we'll be focusing on a song from an artist that sadly is no longer with us. That artist is keyboardist and vocalist Christine McVie from the British-American rock band Fleetwood Mac. And together, Chris and I will break down the writing, recording, and inspiration behind the smash hit single, Don't Stop, taken from their 1977 album, Rumors. This song is relatively basic and odd in terms of Fleetwood Mac. The lyric is rather rudimentary. There are only four chords throughout the whole track. And believe it or not, for a band known for their beautiful vocal harmonies, there aren't any. But dig a little deeper as we have, and you'll find this simplicity has created an absolute unique and standalone track in the Fleetwood Mac catalog. There's nothing else that sounds quite like it. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. This is a fun one. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Well, hey, everyone. Today, we're going to break down a song by an artist that is no longer with us. And Chris, we did this before and the listeners seem to like it. It's a little bittersweet. I really wish that uh, Christine McVie was actually here with us to talk about the song Don't Stop, but unfortunately she's not. So we're, we're, we're doing our best to keep her memory alive and talk about an amazing song. Yeah, man, I kind of feel like Christine McVie was the unsung hero of Fleetwood Mac. You know, Stevie Nicks and Lindsey Buckingham kind of get all the glory. But to be honest, like, it wasn't until recent years that I knew her name. Like, obviously, I knew there was another female in Fleetwood Mac, but she just didn't have the sort of name recognition, at least to me. Do you think that's odd that, that I wouldn't have necessarily known her name until maybe the past five or six years? Absolutely not. I mean, she was in a band with Stevie Nicks. Right. Again, I mean, you know, Stevie's star is just so bright. It always has been. But this band, to me, has always been the sum of its parts. You know, there was really four different eras of, of Fleetwood Mac. There was the Peter Green 1960s uh, Fleetwood Mac, and, and that, of course, was... Uh, with uh, Mick Fleetwood, the drummer. And then you had your 70s era where Mick had found this, it was in LA, and the sto- as the story goes, he found this songwriting duo called Buckingham Nicks. And they had just released a record, I want to say it was in 72 or 73, they put out a record, it really didn't do anything, but he thought they were fantastic. And he loved Lindsay, he loved his playing and his songwriting. And he asked him to be part of Fleetwood Mac, but it was a package deal. If if uh, Stevie wasn't coming, he wasn't coming. And that's how it, uh, it went down. So, you know, their 70s heyday into the early 80s, they they broke up a couple times. Lindsay came in and out. I think Stevie left at one point. Uh, then they got back for their their resurgence, uh, which would have been uh, in the '90s. I I kind of consider that till now. Um, of course, 
I believe that uh, Lindsay's again out of the band. Last I knew, Tom Petty's guitar player, Mike Campbell, was playing for them. But uh, crazy history with this band. But getting back to what you initially said, yeah, Christine McVie just was kind of the keyboard player back in the shadows. A lot of interpersonal drama. I think that's one of the biggest things people know about Fleetwood Mac is the relationships among the band member. Could you imagine having a relationship like a love relationship with someone (laughs) that you're in a band with being married to someone that you're in a band with and then separating or divorcing and remaining in a band together. This just, it seems so crazy. And we're going to get into that today with this song, which Chris has to be one of the most upbeat, positive, happy divorce songs I've ever heard in my life. Maybe the most upbeat divorce song I've ever heard. Well, and and uh, it, it's been noted that John McVie, uh, who was Christine's husband at the time, in the band with her, and then of course you had Stevie and, and Lindsay in a relationship together. I believe Mick had an affair with Stevie at some point, the drummer. There was a lot going on in this band, but supposedly John McVie was unaware of the song's subject matter until its release. He said, I've been playing it for years, and it wasn't until somebody told me Chris wrote that about you. And he said, oh, really? So (laughs) throw in what was going on in the 70s with drink and substances, and yeah, maybe he he was oblivious to it, because they're also notorious uh, for being a reckless, crazy party band. Yeah. And, you know, maybe something really good comes out of all that. I mean, obviously this album rumors is insane. Like the hits on this album and just the legend behind this album is really crazy, man. And I think that maybe from the ashes of all these broken relationships come these amazing, beautiful songs. And this is one of them. For sure. And I would have never thought in a million years that this song would have come from the end of a relationship. But I'm excited to talk about this one with you, man. Absolutely. Uh, You know, this was released, Don't Stop was released as the third single from Rumors. It peaked at number three on the Hot 100 in October of 1977, Chris. Uh, Go Your Own Way, one of my favorite Fleetwood Mac songs, was the first single. Dreams was the second single. Uh, and and Christine McVie, she also wrote Everywhere, which oh. you and I talked about that song. Amazing. Amazing. Uh, Songbird, yeah. Save Me, and and Little Lies. All of those songs were, were, were big hits for the band. And I forgot to research it, but she did have a solo hit. Uh, minor hit, possibly in the early 80s that I remember uh, was was a pretty good track. But let's talk uh, for a second, Chris, about the producer, Ken Calais. This guy just completely, to me, hit it out of the park with, with the production on this record. I know Lindsay's no slouch as a producer, but the sonics of this, when I think of Fleetwood Mac... I think of them as like, a, I'll, th- I'll throw out Led Zeppelin. It's just when you hear it, it's undeniable of who it is. Yeah. You can't just kind of say, oh, this sounds like another band. It, it doesn't. They have their own thing. And and that's something magical about this band as well. Oh, the production on this song, you know, diving into this song and really zeroing in on certain aspects of it. It's perfect. It's it's incredible. Did you, Ken Calais, is that how you pronounce his name? I believe so, yeah. Were you familiar with him as a producer otherwise, or was it just 
in getting ready for this episode that you were aware of him? No. So, you know, I, I, I'm aware of what he had, he had done, but uh, it was mostly through when I read the Fleetwood Mac autobiography, which would have been maybe 10 or 15 years ago. And he has a daughter who had a minor pop career. I don't know if she's still oh, out there. Oh, Colby Calais? Colby Calais. That's his daughter. Yeah. That's his daughter? That's his daughter. Mm-hmm. I did yep. not know yeah. that. That's crazy. Starts in my toes, makes me crinkle my nose. Wherever it goes, I always know that you make me smile. Please stay for a while now. Just take your time wherever you go. Yeah, so that's Ken's daughter. And, you know, the book, if you get a chance, anybody listening to read it, or you, Chris, read the book. He goes in great detail on the making of rumors. And uh, wow. that, actually, I don't think it was a, a biography. It was the making of rumors was the, was the book. And it was a fantastic read. They talked about... Uh, everything that went on with the album, they, you know, the, the tantrums in the studio, the, you know, the cold shoulder, the arguing, the everything that was going on in this dysfunctional band that made up this album that out of the gate, Chris, this thing started selling and it just didn't stop. One of the biggest records of all time. As it should be, I think. Uh, and you know what I thought was crazy when I, what I read about Ken Kelly is he didn't really like this song. He didn't like the tempo. He didn't like the sound of the drums. But he said the reason they did it was because Christine loved the song so much. And it's a good thing they did, considering it became a hit. Uh, But he said the song improved considerably once Christine suggested to sing Don't Stop as a duet instead of Lindsay just singing it, which I think was a really great choice, too. I mean, there's we're going to get into it when we start breaking apart the song, but there's a lot of interesting vocal stuff in this song going on. A lot of back and forth, a lot of unison stuff. Really interesting. Yeah, the the odd part of this song, and might as well talk about it now, Chris, is there's no harmonies in this song. Yeah, it's crazy. Which is insanely crazy for a band like Fleetwood Mac and their their lush, amazing harmonies. Uh, That is, is crazy. And the fact that there's really only three chords in this song. It does go to a B seventh chord, but the rest of it's just E D A major, the whole song. And we've talked about that a little bit on the main show. I know we talked about it uh, in the after party as well, where, you know, sometimes you can take the most basic ideas, but it's what's coming in and out of those chord arrangements that's happening. This guitar part comes in here. That's not there before this organ part or piano part comes or this vocal part. And it, it creates uh, the illusion that there's more going on than there really is. And you want to talk about an easy song to play. This is below beginner. I could probably teach one of my kids this on guitar. It's that, uh, the, the basic chord arrangement. Now, what's going on with Lindsay, what he's doing uh, is, is Lindsay Buckingham. It's amazing. But uh, just the basic chord arrangement, I couldn't believe when I broke this one apart how, how simple it is but how effective and amazing the song is. Yeah, it's one of those songs that puts you in a mood and keeps you there for the full, you know, the full ride of the song. It doesn't really go anywhere. You know, it doesn't have that big, uh, you know, departure from the feel of the song. But hey, man, sometimes you just can't overthink it. <laughs> the songs they mm-hmm. hit, you know, I, I'm sure we're both guilty of overthinking it when it comes to songs, especially in our genre of music it's not uncommon for a song to go to all kind of different crazy places within one song but this song just puts you in a mood and keeps you there and i love it i think it's awesome oh yeah i i I do too and i gotta ask you what was your first memory of fleetwood mac what was your (sighs) 
Do you recall? Because um, well, my this isn't necessarily Fleetwood Mac. My parents really liked Stevie Nicks solo career when I was a kid. They had the Stevie Nicks solo album, so I think that's kind of my first Fleetwood Mac related thing. What was Stevie Nicks? Now, when I got older, by the time I was in high school, I really loved "Go Your Own Way." By the time I was in high school, I thought that was an amazing song. Um, but it wasn't until I got older that I dove into Fleetwood Mac and really started loving the band. You know, probably by the time I was in my late 20s or something. I think I was a late bloomer on Fleetwood Mac. You know, maybe Stevie Nicks solo stuff I knew a little more. As most of the listeners out there know, my mom and dad were musicians. So, you know, music was always going on in the house. And it was the early 80s, Chris. I want to say it was around 81. 82 where there was an hbo special with fleetwood mac and it was a live in concert and anytime one of those came on it didn't matter if it was neil diamond kiss whoever it was and they they showed a lot of them back then mtv it was kind of a new thing to show a concert and be able to watch it in your living room and i was mesmerized mick fleetwood looked like a madman okay (laughs) he did this drum solo where his eyes are bugging out of his head and he really played up to the camera but i remember my dad saying that guy's crazy and i really (laughs) thought he was crazy when i was nine years old and and maybe he was a little bit uh as as some some of us musicians are but i just was i immersed myself in that concert clip I I loved watching and I loved watching the harmonies pretty much fell in love with the band then. And if you look at just just the talent, you know, we've talked about Lindsay and and Stevie and and Christine, but John McVie on the bass, Mm -hmm. uh, unreal. And Mick Fleetwood's no slouch, which is amazing. I wonder what... Uh, producer Ken Calais didn't like uh, with the sound of the drums. Granted, they sound a little 70s, but, you know, was he talking about the performance? Because, you know, Mick's style was a little erratic. Yeah, he definitely does some things in this song that I want to talk to you about. It's certain fills and stuff that are pretty wild and long and go over where you think they would go. Yes. Uh, Definitely some interesting stuff on the drums, but maybe it's just that shuffle feel of it you know we talked about that what was oh glass tiger episode he talked about how the producer on that song was like well it's been a few years since there's been a shuffle hit maybe the shuffle isn't for everyone sometimes i mean obviously it works perfectly in this song so i don't know and one thing i wanted to say chris real quick is the appeal of this band there's men and women in in this band if you're a if you're a singer, it doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman, you can sing a Fleetwood Mac song. You know, you have certain songs, you have such dramatically different feels. Think about how different this song is than Landslide. Think about how different this song is than Little Lies. Uh-huh. There's something for everybody with this band, I think, is what the appeal is. If you don't like Don't Stop, that doesn't mean you can't still be a huge Fleetwood Mac fan. Oh, yeah. And, and you know, as weird as I try to get sometimes, I'll try to say, I want to write something that doesn't sound anything like me or my band. Mm-hmm. And I'll do a, a keyboard riff at the end of the day, it always ends up sounding like me. Yeah. Even though I play it on the keyboard, I'm still going to the same chords. I have certain instincts. A band like Fleetwood Mac, again, they have their own sound and what they were able to to capture and create. You just said it, how different a song uh, Landslide is to Don't Stop, uh, to Little Lies, to Everywhere. It's amazing. Well, one more thing that I want to bring up, Chris, is sometimes we have this discussion in our band where 
you know, Steve sings a majority of the punchline songs in, in our band. And we have this discussion and, and not argument, more discussion about like when we're recording a new album, like, should Steve sing all the songs? Should we have one one guy? And then every time we usually say, well, what about the Beatles? <laughs> That's what we usually say. But you could easily say that about Fleetwood Mac too. Not only do you have you know, multiple singers with drastically different voices. Now, Lindsay and Christine actually are kind of more alike. Stevie is her own thing for sure. Uh-huh. But I think this is a perfect example too, where not only do you have these different voices, but you have different songwriters. You have everyone contributing mm-hmm. songs too. And the band is massively successful and everyone has hits. You know, right. all the different songwriters have hits. This is like the prime example if someone was making that argument of, oh, we should just have one person be the featured vocalist. Well, what about Fleetwood Mac, man? <laughs> yeah, well, and and, and Christine uh, and Lindsay sound so much alike on this track. I know. They, they really have emulated each other, others' voices. You know, Christine has like a, you know, a lower like alt- alto voice, but it just complements his just so well. And Again, this song, when you know, when I think of rumors, you know, yeah, go your own way is its own thing, dreams is its own thing. But this is the the one track in the album that really sticks out. To your point, you want to talk about a depressing lyric in a sense about a breakup, but yet the song's uplifting. Yeah, you know, I would have never known that this was a a breakup song about ending an eight year marriage. She was married to John McVie for eight years, and. I don't. I mean, we're going to get into the lyrics, obviously. I wouldn't have even guessed it was a breakup song. But then when you know the story behind it, it's like, it's very interesting. And I, I'm ready to dive into this one with you, Chris. I'm excited. There's so many things I want to talk musically and lyrically to you about concerning this song. Yeah, we're going to get into it. And I got to say, right before we jump in, Chris, that the lyrics here, there's some lyrics in this thing. And I don't know how else to say it without coming off like I'm criticizing it which i'm not but they're very rudimentary at points they're basic it's it's almost like a 14 year old kid could have wrote these on his notebook but again i didn't write it right you know they did i always say that about oh that's a dumb lyric it's like well the song you know the album sold 20 million copies i don't know how dumb it is they didn't overthink it man they did it seems like these were the gut instinct that christine came up with and didn't second guess it didn't try to highbrow it and everyone relates to it Yep, they rolled with it. Well, the track's three minutes and 11 seconds. There's an eight-bar intro of organ and piano on bar three. This long snare fill goes. Kind of comes up in the mix like it's uh, coming up in volume until bar five, where the drums and the bass join in on bars seven and eight. The lead guitar is doing a counter melody. Very sparse what the guitar is doing there, but very integral to the feel of this song. Just brilliant stuff there by Lindsay. couple things about this intro that I wanted to bring up. I noticed that Christine was listed as playing piano, tack piano, a Vox Continental keyboard, and lead vocals at certain parts on this song. Now, I heard you bring this up before on a past episode, but I didn't know what a tack piano was. And n- mm-hmm. now, I mean, I would assume that if I don't know what one is, that a lot of our listeners might not know. And 
Attack piano, it's also known as a harpsa piano, a jangle piano, or a junk piano, is an altered version of an ordinary piano in which objects such as, now it's called a tack piano, objects such as thumbtacks or nails are placed onto the felt padded hammers of the, you know, of the instrument at the point where the hammers hit the strings, giving the instrument a tinny, more percussive sound. And they're commonly associated with like ragtime music. And they often appear in like Hollywood Western saloon scenes that have upright pianos. And also people often use these as a substitute for a harpsichord. Now, I know that the synth that backs up what, when this song's starting, that has to be the Vox Continental, right? Yeah, I would think so. You know, it's a, the, you're talking about the synth organ sound that's happening. Right. Yeah. Um, well, there's that. Yeah, there's the organ sound, and then there's almost the synthy sound blended in with it. But yeah, I, I think that was the, the Vox Continental. That tack piano, we'll get to it, but you can really hear it at the end, buried off left. I've always kind of thought of, and you said ragtime, Chris. That's a great term. Uh, I've always used a honky-tonk piano for that yep. tack piano. Yeah kind of kind of gives that percussive type type feeling. So, okay, so my question then is I didn't know is what the main piano part we're hearing is that just regular piano or is that tack piano because if tack piano is something else in the song, I didn't necessarily pick it out. Uh no, I think that's regular piano. Now, okay. I don't know if that's an I don't know if that's an electric piano uh or if that's a, you know, just a regular uh, analog piano. I'm not sure, but I, I think the tack piano is just sprinkled there on parts like at oh. the end, but I could, I could be wrong. And for those piano enthusiasts out there that know more than I do, let us know. Yeah. I wasn't, I wasn't really sure if the tack piano was like the featured main thing or if it sounds a little different. I don't think so. I could be wrong. I think the tack piano is used for, you know, just some, like some overdubs and flourishes throughout the song. Gotcha. And the what I called sort of guitar riffing that's panned off to the right, I believe that lit Lindsay's yeah. uh, riffing there. It's so cool, and it feels really off the cuff. Like it doesn't feel like those parts are repeating or anything. What he's doing, it feels very playful. This song is especially for the caliber of players in this band. In my opinion, this song is is pretty simple mm -hmm. i think they cut this live off the floor at least the basic tracks i bet Lindsay just ad, ad libbed this stuff i don't even know if there was overdubs in it nothing really repeats on guitar which is another brilliant thing in this track and and it feels like it was uh it was improvised like a lot of the old bands and, and especially jazz bands and stuff did they would just do stuff on the fly and, and that definitely comes across to me right that's that's how i felt about it it's not like i can necessarily sing any of those rift parts it doesn't feel like they repeat it feels ad-libbed it feels off the cuff and it just complements the song perfectly well we're gonna get in right into verse one after this intro chris and it's the same instrumentation that carries through from the intro the guitar is now panned hard right not up the middle playing sporadic riffs uh, which are super cool and the bass tone here is absolutely shredding it's just it's awesome If you wake up and don't want to smile, if it takes just a little while, open your eyes and look at the day. You'll see things 
in a different way. And just to show the, the at least the verse structure and how there really isn't any other, other chords going on, it's uh, the chord E. If you wake D up and A, don't want to smile. And it just goes like that for the next line, for the next line. And then on the last line, you'll see things in a different way. We get that different chord, that B seventh. But the whole song does this over and over, minus uh, an area where they repeat. But lyrically, let's talk about these. It, it seems like you're just kind of seizing the day. You're, you're waking up and looking at things differently, right? Well, what I was wondering is when she's writing this, she's saying, if you wake up and don't want to smile, if it takes just a little while, open your eyes and look at the day, you'll see things in a different way. Knowing what we know about this being about her separation from John McVie, is she writing this to him? Like saying, if you wake up, or is she writing this to herself? As like a reminder to, you know, open your eyes and embrace the day and seize the moment and everything. That's what I wonder here. Hmm. That's a great point. And here's another uh, monkey wrench I'm going to throw in here. Lindsay sings this first verse. So why wouldn't she sing it if she's taking ownership? And I'm not asking that question for any other. I'm kind of making a statement about it. Bands are like that. It's like I sang Vinny's lyrics for years. I still sing them. You can take ownership of a lyric, and it sounds like what happened here with Lindsay, but you know, she wrote the song. If anything, I, I would have thought she would have started singing it. Yeah, I think that the intention was for Lindsay to sing the whole thing, and then it became a duet. Now, Chris, I got to say one thing. Did you watch any live videos of them playing this? I did, and it's all everyone singing. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> that's one funny thing. Everybody's singing like the whole thing. That's one funny part. Yeah. But also, I did watch one video. This might be a stretch, man, but if Christine wrote this and had Lindsay sing it, I noticed that he was like looking over when he was singing, like looking over at her. Like, I don't know. You look at your bandmates when you play. I I don't have to look into it too much. But imagine if her intentions were, Lindsay, I want you to sing this to me as a reminder of how of how I should feel. Like I want someone to be saying this to me. I don't that's a that's a real stretch. But I would lean towards she's writing this as a song to herself, as a reminder to herself of how to feel at this time that could be filled with sadness or anger or whatever. And I, you know, like you said, Chris, there's lots of emotions. There's lots of obviously substances involved at this time. And they'd been together for eight years. Who knows? It may have been a miserable eight years where they're coming out of, they're both coming out of this. Like, Oh, we're so much better not being a couple. We can play in a band together, but maybe it was a relief on both sides? I, I don't know. Well, you know, m- most couples, at least one of the person works or both. They leave in the morning, they kiss each other goodbye, they come home at night, have some dinner, go to bed and do it over again. They were on the road the whole time together. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure they were sharing hotel rooms or, you know, whatever. At some point, enough's enough and just like, ah, you know, get get out of my way. But... Um, Bands are complicated animals. You know, the record previous 
two rumors came out in 75 it was Lindsay and stevie's first record the self-titled album fleetwood mac so that was the honeymoon phase everyone's kind of getting along they're partying they're hanging out and two years of a world tour goes by they go into the next record go your own way is about stevie and Lindsay. you know there's a, other songs on the record so this whole thing was going on it, it, it's a wonder they got a record out of it to, to begin with and a legendary one man but i think the coolest thing is that this first verse, anybody could relate to this. Who doesn't wake up and not want to smile and and need to remind yourself to embrace the day and and not feel so down you know it's it's relatable to 99.9 percent of people absolutely and and you want to talk about getting to the chorus quick <laughs> yeah 33 seconds we're at chorus one you're already there and how quick was uh, it 33 seconds wow Thirty-three seconds, and what's amazing is, is it feels even quicker yeah. because the chord arrangement is the same since the song started. So, uh, the lyric is, "Don't stop thinking about tomorrow. Don't stop. It'll soon be here. It'll be here, better than before. Yesterday's gone." yesterday's gone the piano uh panned off left chris gets noticeably louder here as does that lead guitar panned off right uh such fun bouncy interplay happening here between all the instruments and we get the unison vocals here in the chorus i'm assuming that's christine and Lindsay. yeah i'm pretty sure it is and i can't believe how many parts in this song i can't tell whose voice is who we're talking about a man and a woman <laughs> you know usually that's Easy to tell apart, you know, a female vocal and a male vocal. There's so many parts in the song. I'm like, who, who is that? Like when they're trading off lines where I can't really tell. And Chris, this might sound crazy to you. I've heard this song hundreds of times in my life. I never thought about the fact there were two different people singing this. Now it's pretty obvious when you listen to it. There's a, there's a man singing the first verse and a woman singing the second, but their voices are so similar that it wasn't until I was actually studying the song that I even noticed, that my ears noticed. Yeah, I don't know when I noticed, but yeah, for, for years I thought this was just Lindsey Buckingham singing. You know, right. he starts the song, and then, you know, when you get to verse two, which we're going to talk about here in a second, uh, you know, Christine sings it. Yeah. And their tone and their delivery, and she's a British woman. He's an American guy, you know, but you can't even hear that, uh, the, the dialect or the accents coming out. <laughs> Hey, we'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Looking to elevate your music career? DistroKid is a digital music distribution service that enables musicians to distribute their music to online stores and streaming platforms such as Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube Music, Amazon, Tidal, and many more. DistroKid collects earnings and payments, sending them to you, the artist. With DistroKid, artists unlock a world of possibilities. From easily paying collaborators with splits to securing your music with DistroLock, DistroKid covers all bases. Plus, you can promote your releases with HyperFollow and create eye-catching visuals with the Spotify Canvas Generator, all for free. But that's not all. Introducing the DistroKid app, now available on iOS and Android. Artists can manage their releases, view streaming stats, and withdraw earnings, 
all from the palm of their hand. And for those looking to perfect their sound, check out Mixia. With its simple interface and customizable mastering options, artists can make their music sound polished and professional within minutes. And don't forget about Instant Share, DistroKid's newest feature. Share large files securely with collaborators, producers, and more, ensuring your music streams at the highest quality. Ready to take your music to the next level? Download the DistroKid app and explore their suite of tools today. Plus, listeners can enjoy 30% off their first year by visiting distrokid.com slash VIP slash Demakes. That's distrokid.com slash VIP slash Demakes. And now, back to the show. After Chorus 1, we get a four-bar reintro. Uh, the piano is panned off left, uh, gets super playful, as does the guitar uh, panned off to the right, kind of like the chorus. It's just still really playful interplay going on between those two instruments uh, as we get into verse 2. Why not think about times to come and not about the things that you've done? If your life was bad to you, just think what tomorrow will do. We got Christine here now. Yes, we got her singing, but I was analyzing these lyrics and if your life was bad to you, just think what tomorrow will do was... Well, I, I hope tomorrow would be better, but yeah. if the, the whole life's been bad, maybe it's going to be bad tomorrow. I thought that was kind of a strange lyric when I when I analyzed it. Yeah, I think the intention is for it to be a positive thing, like think what tomorrow will do. But when you just read it like that, if your life was bad to you, just think what tomorrow will do. Like, I think it was probably, once again, off the cuff, first things that came to mind flowed out of her mouth, you know, while, while she's playing this, but yeah, you could interpret that as tomorrow could be worse. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> if you think your life's bad to you now, just wait till tomorrow. <laughs> well, in, uh, in verse two here, we get pretty much the same sonics, uh, and instrumentation is a verse one, but the guitar panned off right is doing something just unique to this verse. Yeah. Again, he's just Lindsay sitting over there, just kind of noodling away, doing his thing. I, I really think it was that off the cuff, and that's why it comes across like that. He he was that good. The band was that good to do stuff like that. You know, we don't have her here to talk about this, but I really feel like when I listen to this song, that if she was here to talk about it, it would be one of those episodes where she's like, yeah, I wrote this song in 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. You know, I, it really feels that way. Yeah, and you almost wonder, you know, the producer kind of was iffy about it you wonder what the rest of the band thought about it because it's kind of just a it really is if you strip everything down it's a bebop three minute pop song yeah you know and this this band wasn't really about that it was definitely a different flavor for them but but uh open open new doors uh chorus two comes in same basic instrumentation as chorus one but the piano uh, off left and the guitar off right are again playing slight variations from previous parts Oh, 
harmonies, Chris. Uh, sounds unison here. It's the same lyrics uh, as the other chorus. Why mess with it? And that last line, you know, if you were to to, to sum up this song lyrically for me, the simplicity of yesterday's gone, yesterday's gone. Let it go. You know, all we have is all we have is tomorrow. Yeah. You know, it, it's it's kind of like that underlying. Uh, uh, thing of hope, but it's also a very easy digestible lyric for people to sing along to and, and cheer to. I mean, it's so true. It's it's so simple, but at the same time, it's profound. Yesterday's gone. It's gone forever. It's not coming back. You have memories of it, but the only thing that exists is right now. You know, that might be looking pretty deep into it, but I, that's what I take away from it. And Chris, like you said, it seems like these are so simple and elementary, but at the same time, they're so profound. They're so good. They're so relatable. Absolutely. And this last line uh, on chorus two, there's a holdout on that B seventh chord, yeah. Chris, for two measures. So it's yesterday's gone. Yesterday's gone. Hold, 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 hold on that chord until the lead break, which comes in. It's 10 bars. And again, this next part uh, is exactly the amount of bars the previous chorus was. The first eight are normal, like chorus two, but on the last two bars, we hold out on that B seventh for two bars again. Yeah. It's the same hold, the same exact thing we just heard uh, to go into verse three. Those little things, they make the song yeah. to me. You know, like the song is so easy, you know, but all they did was just extend and hold on that chord. It provides that little bit of tension. Yeah. It doesn't feel like the song's getting stale. Yeah, that tension is really important. And I wonder if the producer, Ken, if that was like a suggestion from his part or something, or if they knew to do that, that seems like an instinctual musician thing to like something has to be different here something has to build tension that would be something that i personally might not think to do and and wish that i would have that instinct to do that because yeah when i think about it logically it's like why would i just hang out on this chord here for two more measures but put it into practice and it's magic it's a great tool because again they could have went to another chord, yeah. but that would have right. made you feel different. That would have made you feel a certain way. They could have done a bridge with this departure. They didn't. They stayed within the confines of these really three chords. That B7th only comes in uh, every once in a while. It doesn't happen after chorus one. After chorus one, we don't do right. the hold. It's just regular it's before the four-bar reintro, before verse two. So uh, super, super simplistic. I keep using that about this song, but sometimes it's those simplicities that the simple things when you just add an extra two bars or just change it up a little bit that uh that makes the song become what it is the next song that i write i'm literally gonna try to do that exact thing hey on the second chorus i want to hang on whatever the last chord is for two more measures just to see if it if it creates i mean you have to follow it up with something obviously this is leading into a guitar, I guess you would call it a guitar solo. It kind of feels like riffing again, but it's supposed to be a sort of in a Fleetwood Mac 70s kind of way, an exciting part, you know, like, oh, Lindsay's going to rip it up on guitar now. Like it's supposed to be a real lift, whether it has that effect on you or not is a question of taste. But 
I think that's the intention, right? Yeah, and, and over those chords, uh, E, D to A, you could play a million things. Yeah. There's, you know, and, and, and bands and people have. I can't imagine anything else there besides what he played now. It's yeah. just part <laughs> of the song, right. you know? But uh, yeah, yeah. Those questions I'd love to ask. Was it live off the floor? How many takes did you take to get it? It you know, feels like it. It really feels li- there's real yeah. live aspect to to the way this sounds. And I have a question for you, Chris. We're going to get into verse three right out of the lead break. And who sings verse three? Like, it sounds like Christy, but it almost sounds... I wonder if they both kind of ghost each other on this one. You know, Chris, one thing I wanted to bring up about the the last chorus was they're sort of trading off vocals in that chorus. And I know the don't, I know that's Lindsay. And then the stop, I think is Lindsay. And then Christine does the thinking about tomorrow. Like they haven't gone full unison yet. They're kind of trading off. And I I can't tell who's saying stop in the second chorus. It's strange. I I'm their voices are too similar. I'm with you. They definitely blend and do unison on certain things, but verse three, I, Again, I think this could be a combination of both of them. If, if I were to, if I had to say just one, it sounds like Christine for most of it. And the lyric changes here, Chris. If the, if you look back to verse one, if you wake up and don't want to smile, now it's saying, all I want is to see you smile. If it takes just a little while, I know you don't believe that it's true. I never meant any harm to you. Right. And is she talking to herself? Is she talking to John? Interesting lyric. I think now it's kind of obvious to me that she's talking to John. I know you don't believe it's true. I never meant any harm to you. I think that really feels to me like that's a lyric directed at John. Even if earlier, even if maybe she was singing to herself at first, or maybe maybe the whole song is directed at John being like, hey, I still think you're great. I still want to play in a band with you. You're still my friend. But things didn't work out between us, but things can still be great for you. You know, I I think that maybe that that line makes me think that's the intention of the whole song, which if so, that's such a nice sentiment. I mean, how could you if you had any resentment towards a, a former wife or girlfriend or whatever relationship and they wrote this song to you? How could you how could you not forgive them? I, I feel like it's just so it's such a feel good thing. Well, and, so, and sometimes to take the anger and the hatred out of your heart, you have to wish kindness and goodness on the other person. All I want is to see you smile. Yeah. I just want you to be happy. I can't be with you, but I want you to be happy. Right. 
Hey, Chris, one more thing I think is interesting is we're talking about like who's singing this third verse, you know, are they trading off? There's certain parts where it's, you know, sometimes, sometimes if unison is done really well, it sounds like a singular voice too. So it gets really confusing. And I'll tell you what doesn't help. Like you, you said it earlier, it doesn't help watching live videos of them because it's literally like they're all, including Stevie, they're all singing like the whole time when they sing this live. Yeah. And I think that's awesome like i love that i chris i don't know how you feel about that or i don't know if less than jake has really tried that too much we've been doing it a lot more in punchline even on recordings where everyone's just singing in unison like it's such a it's such a fun feeling and it feels you know who i think of a lot with that chris is um when you had jeff rosenstock on the uh, podcast and a lot of his songs mm-hmm. feel that way. It's like a group of people singing, and it just yeah, it just feels good. A lot of times you'll just pick you know specific words and just do it do a double on that word or or on a line. And uh, rappers are, are are famous for that. It just kind of it just gives a, a a little bit of push on on emphasis. Uh, I think I think someone even said that, that it's an emphasis line that they call that when you put another put another vocal a uh, unison vocal on it chorus three chris it's a double chorus here at the end the only double chorus we get in the song same lyrics unison vocals on the second line don't stop it'll soon be here the band stops which is funny don't stop but the band does stop i noticed they stop on the <laughs> word it, it so it's don't yeah. <laughs> stop it will soon be here yeah they stop on it and that snare build fill to come back in, it's so cool. It is. You know what about this stop, Chris? It reminds me a lot of what like punk bands do. <laughs> it's such like a punk band thing to do to have a stop to emphasize a line. It is. And I think that they needed something here. Yeah. Again, let's let's remember it's the same three chords hitting you over the head, but the band stops there and a guitar slightly pan left lets out a little wail there. So just these little pieces that are still coming in and out that that make uh, that chord progression we've heard for three minutes just seem a little bit different. Tons of new piano and guitar stuff working its way through chorus three. Again, I think some of that tack piano, I'm hearing some of that buried off left. And again, the mix on this and the separation of the instruments. You know, the guitars aren't very loud in this song, okay? This is a very organ piano filled you know the bass and drums are super loud danceable the guitar is almost used in this song kind of like a disco track in the 70s kind of just adding nuances and flourishes rather than these big chords and 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 sonic tapestries so really interesting what's happened there and and i finally wrote the notes here no harmonies in this song how amazing is that for fleetwood mac how did they not whose decision that was for and especially Three amazing singers making the conscious choice not to harmonize. Like, whose yeah. decision was that and why? It's fascinating yeah. because they could have done 
killer harmonies in this thing. Like, how did they not? <laughs> I picture Stevie laying on the on the studio couch and, and the producer swivels his chair around and says, and, you know, what about harmonies? You know, <laughs> and they're like, nah. And she just puts her head back down and goes back to sleep. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because, yeah, like, how is there not harmonies on this song? After chorus three, we come to an outro. And I wrote here some really great honky tonk, twinkly piano panned off to the left. Uh, and you get these ooze that happen but even these ooze here are all in unison a higher uh, register here higher notes that happen on the ooze and it just says don't you look back four times On line three and four, uh, it starts to fade out, and uh, that's how the song ends. But that last line, that last hook, don't you look back. Again, how simple. Yeah. But you can't look back. Yesterday's gone. Yep. You just got to keep looking ahead. And Chris, uh, not to go back a little bit, but I really have to talk to you about, before we get to this outro, that second half of the double chorus where the drums get really playful <laughs> the drums get mm -hmm. really crazy and he and uh he plays that one really long fill where it keeps going like into the next line where it feels like i've heard you say this a lot of times it feels like it's going to go off the rails you know and then yeah. it comes in <laughs> it lands perfectly That's so cool. Um, also, Chris, one more thing. You brought up, obviously, this is before disco, but I got to give a little shout out to my boy, John McVie on the bass. Not only is the song about him, but in these choruses, he does sort of this like descending walk down thing in the, in the choruses. Mm -hmm. It's so good. so tasteful and so good it is the depth and level of musicianship in this band is absolutely incredible and you know you talk about those drums with mick fleetwood he was really an unorthodox drummer okay i think by looking at him and seeing how he played i, I think he loved john bonham that was probably one of his influences but he was like somewhere between bonham and you know keith moon he was one of those drummers that definitely had their own thing very unorthodox if you just had a regular session cat come in and play this track it wouldn't have had the swing and the feel that mick brought to it yeah chris what i think is really interesting uh, this piece as a whole you said it from the start that it's a very simple, basic song, but imagine how everybody in the band, it's like a playground when you bring a simple idea and everyone could put their mark on it. Every single member of this band put their mark on it. Actually, who put the least mark on it is Stevie Nicks, who I know. doesn't really do much in this song, which is another crazy thing. Even when you watch the live videos, she's just kind of standing in the middle, doing backups and playing a little bit of tambourine here and there. That's kind of all she does. The most famous person from the band really doesn't do too much in this song. Everybody else kind of shines in this one. 
Well, thanks to everyone for tuning in with us today. Uh, like I said at the top, Chris, I, I wish we could be be talking to Christy McVie right now. And we do these periodically where we go back and, and feature a song by a guest that's no longer with us. And again, wish they were here. This is the second best we feel we can do. And it uh, it's always a pleasure to break down any song. We love breaking down songs. That's what we do here. But uh, if you haven't already, please join our supporting cast. It's like a Patreon, Chris. I keep telling people. Yeah. It's just Patreon. But it's called Supporting Cast. You can find it at chrisdemakes.com for the price of a cup of coffee. You can hear Chris and I give you bonus episodes each week that we call the after party, where we expound on that week's episode, or we go back in time and talk about songs of the Billboard charts or just about anything else you can think of. Chris is a wonderful historian. You'd be <laughs> you'd be shocked at how awesome it is. Chrisdemakes.com. Uh, yeah. Go sign up. We'd love to have you be part of it. And give me a follow on Instagram at less than Christy and give Chris Fafalius a follow at Chris Fafalius. Yeah. He'd love that. And uh, yeah, this has been fantastic. Thanks to Christine McVie for writing this awesome song, Don't Stop. And it was a blast breaking it down. We'll see you next week. Hey, it's Chris Makes a Podcast producer, Chris Fafalius. Will you do me a favor real quick? Go to Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe to One Hit Thunder. It's the show that I host with my good buddy, Matt Kelly, where we have guests from the world of music and comedy and art. And together, we dive deep into a band or artist that people consider a one-hit wonder and decide if they brought the thunder or were just a blunder. You'll laugh, you'll learn, maybe you'll get mad at us. Who knows? We have an enormous back catalog that includes episodes about Eagle Eye Cherry, Stacey Q, Looking Glass, The Weather Girls, Tag Team, Four Non Blondes, Martika, Creation, Sixpence None the Richer. I could go on and on. But how about you just subscribe to One Hit Thunder wherever you get your pods and experience the fun for yourself. Hello, everybody. I'm Bruce. And I'm Nolan, and this is the Corner of Gray Street Podcast. As longtime Dave Matthews Band fans, we set out to create a podcast to dive deep into the past, present, and future of DMB. Not only do we recap and review shows within an ongoing tour, but we revisit past shows from throughout the band's history, conduct interviews with a wide variety of guests with ties to DMB, and create unique and exclusive content like our Concerts on the Corner series. Whether you're a fan of the band or just a fan of great music, we think you'll find something you'll enjoy. We can't wait to see you on The Corner of Gray Street. Well, hey, friends. My name is Zach Lupiton. You may know me from the band Dust Bowl Revival, but I also host a music discovery podcast called The Show on the Road. For the last five seasons, I've been able to dive deep and have intimate chats with folks like the Lumineers, Andy DeFranco, Wolfpack, Keb Moe, Lake Street Dive, Bela Fleck, and more. So guess what? After 150 conversations with some of my favorite songwriters from around the world, we are bringing brand new episodes to the Osiris Network. New interviews and intimate acoustic performances will be coming at you this summer. And which episodes are coming next, you ask? I am Zach Goody, the lead singer for the band Smash Mouth. Our band is called Milky Chance. We are based in Berlin. My name is David Shaw. I sing and write songs with my band, The Revivalists. Trust me, these conversations go some wild places. So subscribe to the show on the road on Osiris, and we'll see you soon. Again.